Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut, and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at brilliancesecuritymagazine.com. Welcome to this episode of the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for listening. Today, we are discussing darknet markets and specifically the buying and selling of essential supplies needed to combat the COVID-19 pandemic in these underground exchanges. We are very excited today to have as our guest, Dr. David Maiman. Uh, Dr. Maiman is an associate professor in the Department of Criminal Justice and Criminology at Georgia State University. He received his PhD in sociology from Ohio State University in 2009. Prior to joining Georgia State University, David held a professor position at the University of Maryland. David's research interests include theories of human behavior, cyber-enabled and cyber-dependent crimes, and experimental research methods. Since being at Georgia State University, Dr. Maiman has created an evidence-based cybersecurity group where he and his researchers seek to produce empirical evidence and provide systematic review of existing empirical research and provide tools in preventing the development and progression of cyber-dependent crimes. And more germane to this conversation that we'll have today, Dr. Maiman is heading up a year-long study fun funded by the National Science Foundation, which will allow researchers in Georgia State University's evidence-based cybersecurity research group to examine threats related to the sale of critical COVID-19 supplies via the darknet markets. So welcome, Dr. Maiman. Thank you so much for joining us today. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, Maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about the darknet markets, what they are, um, or darknet markets and the encrypted channels. I guess those are the two, two methods that these kinds of um, goods are sold. So maybe you could describe to us a little bit what they are and how they differ from one another. Sure, thank you so much, Stephen, for having me uh, you know, in, in your show. I'm really excited about this. Um, so darknet markets are uh, essentially internet websites um, that are hosted in deep web environments. Um, deep web environments, uh, you know, uh, just make sure that we're on the same page with our listeners, are environments that are not accessible using common browsers uh, and which are protected and hidden from uh, the regular clearnet users. Um, these platforms look very much like uh, any e-commerce website, which our listeners are familiar with, uh, with a slight difference, um, the type of commodities that uh, those markets offer for sale. Most of the products on these uh, platforms are illegal um, or questionable with respect to their uh, legality. And you know, some of the commodities we uh, see on uh, those darknet markets are drugs, uh, stolen personal identifiers like uh, social security numbers, personal identifiers like uh, uh, you know names and addresses, uh, credit card informations. We see malicious software um, being sold on, over the dark net, uh, hacking services, 
uh, fake documentation, all this really, you know, fun commodity, if you will, uh, that online criminals uh, are looking to both uh, purchase as well as uh, sell. So, you know, imagine, um, you know, if you, if you would like uh, sort of to better understand how dark markets looks like, uh, when you go in those markets, uh, they look like Amazon or, or eBay websites. And, and in fact, two of the markets that our team has presence on are called Amazine and DBay. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, pretty much like any e-commerce websites that we are familiar with on um, the ClearNet, uh, you can search the Darknet websites uh, for products. Um, and once you find the products, the website will uh, route you to uh, the web page on which you'll be able to read information about the products, uh, their price. Uh, you'll be able to get some um, information about the vendor contacts. Um, as well as customers' reviews on both uh, the product and, and the vendor services. Um, so these are darknet market platforms that um, you know, um, we spend a lot of time and effort understanding, um, downloading data, and simply um, assessing their sheer size. In addition to uh, those platforms, it's important uh, folks will be aware to encrypt the channels, uh, which have emerged um, during the last you know, five years or so as, as, as one of the uh, most important platforms that is being used by vendors of illegal commodities to advertise, um, as well as you know, sell and, and purchase illegal commodities. So in this sense, uh, you know, the, the, the encrypted channels, when we think about the encrypted channels, our listeners should imagine uh, instant messaging platforms such as WhatsApp, Telegram, ICQ. Um, and what happens on those channels is vendors simply open their own group chats, uh, invite members, um, you know, help uh, try to grow the group with more and more followers, and um, uh, simply post ads with different commodities that they offer for sale. Um, so, you know, it's important that we are all aware of these platforms because we see more and more cyber criminals using those platforms to um, you know, extend their uh, operations uh, in terms of sales as well as purchases of illegal commodities. That is fascinating. So, and it just raises a question in my mind. So when you're doing this research, do you and your researchers uh, do a little cloak and dagger? I mean, you go in, you create aliases and, and have to go into these uh, dark markets and learn about the encrypted channels and get invited to those things under some, you know, guise. How does that work? Indeed. I mean, so, so um, you know, we have been doing this for the last uh, two years or so, uh, embedded ourselves in uh, darknet platforms as well as encrypted channels. Uh, you know, we were engaged in a couple of other research projects. Um, and so once we were exposed to those platforms, we investigated how to, you know, become members in these groups. Um, and, um, you know, we were invited um, at some point uh, to be a part of several groups. And so, you know, we simply are embedded in, in those groups and, you know, try to understand what folks are talking about, um, what are some of the trends that, um, you know, those online criminals are essentially following or sort of developing um, with the goal of collecting this intelligence and educate um, our, our field, uh, the cybersecurity field, with respect to what we find 
um, in, in those uh, channels. So it's, a, it's kind of a threat intelligence uh, sort of an operation. Uh, but, you know, what we try to do uh, in, a, in a very scientific way is engage and collect data in, in, a, in a rigorous way. Right. Fascinating. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what types of essential supplies are being sold um, on the dark, on these dark net markets and encrypted channels, specifically those that relate to the current pandemic that we're experiencing. So it's a great question. Well, uh, you know, there are different types of you know, COVID-19 uh, related supplies uh, being offered for sale over uh, both dark net and encrypted channel markets. But you know, if you um, if if I need to sort of um, summarize or classify the, the type of items we find, you know, I, th I think you know it's safe for me to classify those to three major types of essentials. The first um, are protection gears. See many vendors offering to sell protection gears such as face masks, uh, protection gowns, coronavirus test kits, uh, hand sanitizers. Um, you know, all, the, all, these, all these commodities that at the end of the day uh, is supposed to protect you from um, getting infected by the disease. The, the major problem with purchasing this protection gear is um, that we're not really sure um, about its quality. Um, again, if, if you're purchasing this kind of commodity from um, darknet platforms, you know, the, the source, the manufacturers are, um, you know, unknown because as I, I assume folks understand, everything could be spoofed nowadays uh, and, and be sold everywhere. Sure. Um, so it's, it's kind of problematic to assess, um, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of, of these protection gears in, in um, you know, protecting you from getting infected by the disease. In addition to the protective gear, uh, we also see vendors posting ads for medications and, and different remedies. Uh, for uh, against the disease. Uh, in this sense, we find vendors sell medications such as uh, chloroquine, uh, we see remdesivir uh, as a type of medication that uh, folks offer for sale, uh, antidotes, uh, you know, folks actually sell antidotes uh, against uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, the origin of that is supposed to come from China. Uh, and folks can go on, uh, you know, our website and actually see the ad. It's kind of, you know, an interesting ad to um, analyze. Uh, serums, right, are also um, there uh, for folks to purchase. Uh, th these are the major uh, commodities that that we're able to find uh, at the moment. Wow. Uh, again, there are risks embedded in purchasing these kind of commodities uh, because at the end of the day. You know, you're buying drugs which you're not really sure against who manufacture, what are some of the side effects. Um, so, you know, there are, there are a lot of questions and a lot of concerns, um, in, in, at least in my mind, with respect to the effectiveness of those medications and those, um, you know, serums, right, to actually achieve their, their goals. Yeah. And, and so, Go ahead. And, and, and the last type of commodity that uh, we, we see uh, relates to online fraud services, which is really interesting, right? Um, especially here in the United States, we see many vendors offer to um, either support customers' own fraudulent activities that is related that it's related to uh, the pandemic, uh, or simply sell um, personal identifiers of individuals in order for 
the customers, the darknet customers, to use in order to defraud the government. And the two major uh, types of frauds that uh, are kind of uh, you know, really big right now are unemployment um, as well as uh, uh, loans, right? Uh, we see many um, online vendors offering to support uh, the you know, unemployment applications um, using, of course, fake credentials. So uh, social security numbers and uh, uh, names of real individuals which, uh, whose, whose information was uh, stolen and then you know, uh, being sold to people to use in order to uh, apply for either unemployment or business loan. Um, and um, so, so we see th these two types of commodities, in, in, you know, the, the personal identifier as well as support to help guide individuals with respect to how to apply for those uh, benefits uh, being sold for um, different range of, of prices uh, yeah. over the dark net. Wow. Um, That's the risks there are, of course, for the government who essentially, you know, send money to individuals who are not supposed to get the government as well as for the individuals uh, whose their information being uh, is being stolen uh, and being used right to defraud the government yeah that's amazing it's a little discouraging <laughs> that that's going on but but i guess that that is to be expected um talk talk to us a little bit about why you feel like this study um is is needed and and what if there are any expected results from the study what what do you think that you're going to find when you when you conclude this this year-long study sure so i think i think uh um it's important to conduct this to conduct this kind of research because uh it's it's the first time if you think about it um in which we as a society i mean the entire world if you think about it um, is experiment this is exper is experiencing this kind of a pandemic uh, worldwide crisis where um, the underground economy needs to adjust to in online environment right so everybody talks about 1918 you know the, the, the Spanish flu and of course other types of crises World War one World War two when the entire world were facing difficulties um, in which, which, which essentially impacted the, the economy, impacted um, the uh, presence of different types of commodities in um, the, the, the legal economy, sort of the normative economy, and, and you know, in all those crises, we see the under, underground economy, um, you know, adjusting to it, right, and offering people more opportunities uh, you know, to, to buy and sell different types of commodities that are sometimes scarce, right, um, in, in the normative markets. Uh, this is the first time, if we think about that, that we can do that in online platform. So in this sense, uh, it's important to understand how the um, organized crime groups um, uh, were relying heavily on, on um, uh, the online environments in their operations, uh, adjust to the pandemic, how they um, uh, you know, respond to the different demands for the different types of products that are out there, um, how their supply chains uh, adjust. We know that you know, the supply chain of organized crime groups are very flexible. And so you know, it's really interesting to see how um, you know, those supply chain adjust, right? From selling drugs, for instance, to incorporating different types of commodities like face masks or thermometers, right? Or, or other type of COVID-19 related commodities in order to uh, either expand the operation or compensate for 
what we think is some of the losses they uh, they take because of shipment problems right now and um, customers' lack of interest in some of the commodities that uh, these groups are uh, you know offering to sell on a, on a usual on a regular basis. So you know that is the first reason why it's really important to um, understand. Um, you know, how the dark market sort of, uh, and, and how the, the, the COVID-19 related supplies are being sold on the dark net. The, the other major reason, in my opinion, is um, very much embedded in, in, in our, um, uh, you know, in, in, our, in our need to understand and educate the public about whatever we find. Um, the fact that it could be that some of the uh, commodities that are being offered for sale over those platforms uh, is, is faulty, uh, will not be able to achieve its goals. Uh, so, you know, increase, increase awareness and, and vigilance, um, you know, among uh, internet users, uh, among, uh, you know, government officials, simply make sure that they are aware of everything that uh, we find and, and we report and that we see on darknet platforms. These are, these are the major reasons in my mind for why this study is so important. Absolutely. Fascinating. So, and it raises a question in my mind. So uh, is there any law enforcement engagement or interface? Is there any point during the, during the study like this that you will go to law enforcement and say, here, here's some bad guys that are doing bad things, or do you just publish your results in law enforcement that they're on top of their game? They'll look at your research, their, your research and, and go do what they need to do. Well, one of the cool thing about uh, our research group is that we do have a very close relationship with some of the local, as well the local as well as federal um, law enforcement agencies um, in in the southern region of the United States. So, uh, in fact, we we keep a, a monthly meeting with um, a few of the organizations in which we enlighten them uh, with the type of ads, the type of commodities that. Um, um, you know, we find there uh, in, in the darknet as well as in the encrypted platforms that, uh, that we sit in. Um, you know, we, at, at the end of the day, uh, we can just, you know, talk about whatever we find and, and try to enlighten uh, law enforcement agencies sort of uh, with respect to what we find, but to take it to the next step is pretty much dependent on them. Yeah, okay. All right, so, um, when we come back, we're going to find out who's buying essential medical supplies on the dark net. So stay with us. Dr. Maiman, tell us about the buyers of these essential supplies, if that is even known, who they are, or if you don't know who they are, maybe you have some insight as to who you suspect is buying these essential supplies on the dark net. It's, it's a really good question, uh, which we are trying to answer, uh, but unfortunately at the moment, I simply do not have uh, you know, the answer for. Uh, definitely not in the context of uh, COVID-19 related items. Based on our experience during the last couple of years um, in the dark net, in encrypted channels, uh, you know, we know that anyone, right, everyone, uh, is pretty much on um, the dark net. It could be uh, individuals, it could be individuals who represent organizations that I'm, try that I'm trying to get uh, uh, different types of commodities on, on their behalf, um, you know, consultants, uh, you name it. I mean, anyone who has access to the dark net and who's, you know, trying to, uh, um, 
either either purchase products for its own for its own sake or for an, on, on behalf of an organization they work for um, you know is, is fair game right uh, in, in, in terms of potential uh, consumer uh, on, on darknet platform so you know even though I'm not really sure um, about the buyers profile relating to uh, COVID-19 related items I won't be surprised it will be the same actors we find, um, you know, in the context of other types of commodities that are being offered for uh, sale on, on the darknet. Uh, so individuals, uh, consultants, people who work for companies who are trying to uh, understand the darknet, right? And people who work for companies who are essentially trying to get some of the some of the uh, commodities that that it's that that is simply you know are scarce at the moment um, in the legal normative economy. Interesting. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, it sounds like maybe you, you suspect and your research will show um, that these are more organizations. So either other criminal organizations or even legitimate organizations that, that have a need. And so they just turn to the dark net for what they want, as opposed to individuals. So like if I was just a very paranoid individual and, and I, I thought that some you know, the dark net could offer me something that would protect me from COVID-19, for example, that as an individual, I would, I would, you know, spin up my Tor browser and go out there and find it. So is it some of each or is it mainly really just organizations buying and selling from each other? Again, it's important to understand that as a scientist, I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just trying to learn, right? So yeah. Uh, it's not that I'm trying to prove that it's it's an individual or a group. I just, you know, we're just trying to understand uh, the profile of the customer. I think that my hypothesis is that it's both individuals and individuals who represent organizations. So it's both okay. types of customers. Right. And largely you could tell that probably from the quantities purchased. So if you see right. purchases happening where they're buying cases of something, then that's not an individual. But if they're buying, you know, just a few doses of some some drug, then, then it may just very well be an individual. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you buy a large quantity of masks, I have strong reason to believe that uh, you have some kind of an organization that you're trying to, uh, you know, buy this product for uh, versus if you buy only one box of, of face masks. Right. Okay. So maybe you can give us a sense of there again, if, if, if you know, um, fine, if you don't, then, then that's fine as well. But maybe you can give us a sense to where do these supplies come from? So a mask or a hand sanitizer, is, is somebody stealing these things from a legitimate manufacturer or do legitimate manufacturers just use the dark net as, you know, another, uh, another channel, a distribution channel, or are they, uh, the people that are selling it actually manufacturing some of this stuff in their own little, you know, warehouse or something do you have any sense about that yeah i mean it's it's uh, again a very good question and and it really depends on the type of commodities we're talking about some of the commodities folks will be able to manufacture themselves um the quality again of of uh, that specific type of commodity will be questionable uh but you know we know some organized groups actually are doing that um other groups, and um, you know, that's there's a specific group that I have in mind that um, we know works in in Thailand. Um, you know, simply uh, per, uh, uh, sell face mask or sell sort of equipment uh, that um, have been used in the past um, by other people. So that specific group that uh, we identified on uh, 
March 1st, I think, um, it was one of the first groups that we found one of the encrypted channels we are embedded in, um, which uh, suggested that uh, they are able and willing to sell large quantities of face masks um, to anyone you know, who is willing to purchase. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, Stephen, but um, during early March, uh, the entire world was struggling with trying to find uh, face masks to, sure. uh, you know, bring on the market. Uh, but yet these guys were offering to sell boxes of, and boxes and boxes of, of face masks. And to boost the uh, customer's confidence, they actually, on, on the encrypted channel, um, uploaded a video from their storage uh, in which they showed everybody how many, how many boxes with, with masks they have and, and they're willing to sell. So we, we, we were very curious about you know, how they got um, their hand on, on, on this type of commodity. Uh, we investigated, again, we talked to people in uh, the encrypted channels, and quite quickly, we, we, we realized that essentially what these guys were doing was, again, in Thailand, going to trash cans across the country, taking used face masks from trash mm -hmm. cans, um, <laughs> shipping them to a warehouse uh, in Thailand, washing those face masks, they, they wash the face mask, they iron uh, the face mask, uh, box them, and then ship them to any customer. Wow, shocking. Uh, that's shocking. Go ahead. It, it was, right? It was. And, and, and the cool thing, again, because we were uh, in those markets, because we were talking to people, we were able to get an answer to, to this question we had in mind, right, in respect to how, how could these guys get access to all those masks and sure, when, when, when the rest of us are struggling with it. You know, we were able to get the answer for that in like three or four days period. Um, so, so again, I mean, uh, people are manufacturing their own questionable products. Uh, people uh, recycle uh, some of the products. Um, and in terms of the origin, we know about um, uh, Asian groups who are involved in that. Um, we know about Russian groups who are also very much uh, uh, involved in both the um, uh, COVID-19 related uh, products uh, that I discussed earlier. So, you know, um, uh, protection gear, of course, uh, but also uh, the, the fraud-related items. Um, we also are aware of several uh, local um, suppliers. Um, one supplier we discussed, uh, again, in the beginning of the crisis is essentially a legitimate marijuana uh, supplier uh, in California, uh, who got hit by the crisis because California, California uh, shut down, you know, uh, everything, right? Um, uh, in early, uh, well, mid-February, early March. And so the guy was losing a lot of money. Um, and, you know, because, because he had to sort of pay his bills, he started to uh, explore ways to ship his products, uh, marijuana, to be more specific, uh, anywhere and to any customer who's interested in around the country and around the globe as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, it's people from all over. We have local suppliers. We have people from you know, Asia, people from Russia uh, sending us uh, and, and trying to sell us commodities. Um, with respect to customers, again, we don't have too much information about them. Hopefully we'll have the answer for that uh, in the near future. Wow, fascinating. All right, so as we wrap up here, uh, Dr. Maimon, um, 
why don't you, if you, if you have something to contribute, if you take a couple of minutes and, and if there's anything else that you think our audience should know about Georgia State University's evidence-based cybersecurity research group or anything else that, that you think um, fits along with this topic, go ahead and take a couple of minutes and, and tell us about that. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to discuss the research group. Um, you know, our research group uh, essentially seeks to understand what works and what doesn't in the context of cybersecurity. Uh, we are aware of um, many uh, companies, many, many um, uh, you know, security teams out there who are um, offering their products, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we're not really sure how effective those products are, product and policies, I should add, uh, in achieving their goals um, in terms of you know, uh, the security posture that the client really wants. So what we are trying to, to do is, is uh, test rigorously using scientific methods uh, um, the effectiveness of different tools, different policies in achieving their goals. Uh, we take into consideration the overall ecosystem of cybercrime and uh, focus on the key human actors. So it's not only that we uh, deal with technology, um, in fact, our major focus is on the human actors, um, hackers, targets, um, the guardians, uh, chief information security officers and, and their team, as well as law enforcement agencies, as well as enablers. And we bring in the technology uh, that these actors use in order to collect data as close as we can to the individual and, and really assess um, the effectiveness of policies and tools. Uh, we believe that uh, rigorous scientific research uh, should guide any policy decision, um, and that's what we are trying to accomplish. Uh, there are three goals that uh, we highlight in the context of our group. Uh, we are trying to identify and educate vulnerable targets of cybercrime, uh, guide policy development and guardian efforts to secure cyberspace, and finally guide the design and configuration of computer environments that can mitigate effectively the consequences of cybercrime events. Um, our group embeddedness in the cybercrime ecosystem allows us to identify new security trends. And uh, this is how we actually ended up uh, conducting this really cool research that is related to the pandemic. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. I mean, that is terribly important and relevant work, not just with the COVID-based um, dark market stuff, but all of the cybersecurity work that you're doing. That's a, that's a big concern for a lot of people. Um, so thank you very much for that. And thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you spending some time uh, with us here at Brilliance Security Magazine. And we appreciate our listeners that tuned in and, and listened to this. And uh, with that, we'll sign off and uh, and thanks for, for listening to the Brilliance Security Magazine podcast.